Take your Bible to the book of Jude. Should be easy to find it's just before the book of Revelation. Just before the book of Revelation. Book of Jude. <clears throat> How many chapters are there? There's only one. Verses 22 and 23. It says, And some have compassion, making a difference. And others, save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hitting even the garments spotted by the flesh. Father, come tonight. Help us to understand this subject, to be able to understand the teaching of the Word of God. Help us to be better witnesses, lights. We need, we need holy boldness. We need, <clears throat> we need strengthen from inside out. Lord God, we pray the Holy Spirit of God would convict people of sin, of righteousness, and judgment wherever we go. People would trust you. We'd see people saved, baptized, join, join up to reach the world for Christ. Thank you for Brother Julio and Andrea and the work over in Spain and the work of their lives to reach people for Christ. Lord, we're just your servants at the very best. Everything, when we've done the very best we can do, you said call yourself unprofitable servants. You've done that which is your duty to do. And we are just doing what is our least of our duty and for the salvation you've given us. Thank you for the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. How shall we present the gospel? How should we present it? You, you wouldn't think that there, I wrote on here the New Testament method of presenting the gospel. Now you would think there would be no argument, no difference on how to present the gospel, but there are two, as you can tell by the verses I read, there's two ways to present the gospel. There's two ways to present it. You can present it with compassion, or you can present it with hellfire damnation, red-faced Baptist preaching. That's the way it was when I was raised. Almost everybody that I knew that I sat under the churches I went to were hellfire damnation gospel preaching churches. There wasn't a whole lot of grace awakening. And then in this generation, there's been a grace, somewhat of a grace awakening with a diminishing of the hellfire damnation. Which one's right? Which one should we do? This debate has been raging for a while. Some contend that we should show the love of God to the lost and implore them to come to Jesus because he is great love for their souls. This is why you see signs that say, I think there's one on McGregor Boulevard says, God is love. It's an old sign, been there for many, many years. Uh, we, we have bumper stickers, you see, God loves you. We pass out, smile, Jesus loves you, or smile, God loves you, gospel tracks. Is there anything wrong with that? No, nothing wrong with doing that. Nothing presenting the love of God. You're not telling a lie, you're telling the truth. There, God has dem demonstrated his great love to us. But what about the second school of thought that believes that we should show the lost person his precarious and horrible condition, living every moment under the potential wrath of God for his sin and eventually ending up in a 
place called the Lake of Fire, which nobody would ever in their right mind want to go. And that, that creates signs along the road that say, up in North Carolina, especially South Carolina, North Carolina, turn or burn. That's presenting the gospel. Turn or burn. But it's not the compassion side of the gospel. It's the judgment side of the gospel. You see signs along the road. I've done motorcycle trips. We do these motorcycles. You see all these signs tucked away. Repent or perish. That's a biblically true sign. Is one right and one wrong? No. No. Those who say God is love, it's the truth, biblical truth. God is a God of love. But God is also a God of wrath. You agree with that also to know the Bible. So it's nothing wrong with saying repent or you'll perish. We put a billboard up years ago on 41 that had the uh, Luke chapter 13, verse 3 and verse 5 say the same thing. It said, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. I remember when I was at the advertising agency that put that sign up there. He he said, that's not in the Bible. Surely that's not in the Bible. And I said, it's in the Bible. I said, there's about 10, 12 workers in his office. And I said, do any of you have a Bible in here? And they dug up a Catholic Bible, Douay version. And guess what it said? Except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. And I said, now that's a Catholic Bible. You, you, all, you haven't been to church so long, you forgot what it looked like, but nevertheless. And they said, that's in the Bible. They all with amazement looked at each other and said, that is in the Bible. You could feel the conviction. I said, the Bible's true. Except you repent of your sin and trust Christ your Savior, you're going to perish spiritually forever. Unsavable. Never to end. The thought of it chills down your spine. One of the schools of thought presumes that the sinner already realizes that he needs a Savior and is looking for someone to love him. And there are sinners out there that understand they're sinners and are just looking for someone to love them. That's the one Jesus loves you works with. But there's another group of sinners, and the other group, the other school presumes the sinner is self-righteous, unaware of his danger, that he needs a Savior. I think if you look in Ezekiel chapter 3 and 33, it says, if you warn the wicked of his wicked way, both places read about the same, Ezekiel chapter 3 and 33. And if you warn the wicked of his wicked way and he die in his sins, I will not require your blood at your hands. But if you don't warn him of his wicked way and he die, I'm going to require his blood at your hands. You're going to have some contribution in him going to hell. That puts a heavy weight on me. I don't know about you. I would think it would. But a heavy weight, God puts a heavy responsibility on the born-again believers that have received salvation. Heavy, heavy responsibility to take the good news that you've heard and received and are benefiting from and will benefit from and share it with other people. We're coming up on October 22nd, I believe, is uh, our new day of evangelism. The hurricane interrupted it, but we'll we'll resume it the 22nd of October. That'll be our first day of door-to-door, our day of evangelism. You've never been. I don't know how to witness, preacher. I don't know what to say. You can go with somebody who does. You don't have to say a thing. You can observe. I believe in learning by observation is a very, very, very good way to learn. I taught numbers of people to be in the carpet and floor covering business by them working with me for four years. I didn't sit there and explain everything I did. They watched me, they imitated me, and eventually they could do what I did. 
They learn by observation. Brother Tom, when he got out of vet school, they don't put you in a vet business right away. They make you do an internship or some sort of a deal you work with. Was that Baker? Butler? Oh, but Dr. Butler, which he's forever indebted to. And what did Dr. Butler do? He really showed you probably more than told you. This is the way you do stuff. And so we all learn that way. Medical doctors have a couple years of internships that they go through. I talked to Bailey, Dr. Bailey, which is out of town right now. His daughter had a baby. He's up in Tennessee. By the way, if you're watching this, Doc, God bless you. The best uh, heart surgeon, I mean, not heart surgeon, no, wait a minute, the best heart doctor in the town. We appreciate him. How shall we present the gospel to the lost? I believe you can present it both ways. Let's go back and look at a little bit of New Testament and see what it says about this situation of the different two different ways to present the gospel. In Luke chapter 24, <clears throat> Jesus is resurrected. He's coming back with a couple men that uh, <clears throat> he spoke with. They did not recognize him. And it says, he said to them in verse 46, and, and said unto them, thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Those are Jesus' words. Those are Jesus' words. Repentance and remission of sins. So when you present the gospel, somewhere along the line, you should talk about repentance. What is repentance? Repentance, uh, the definition of the word repentance can mean to reverse one's way, to turn from your sins, to at least have a spirit. It's not a work, it's an attitude. I'm sorry that I've turned, I'm sorry that I've hurt God's feelings. I'm sorry that I've violated his law. That's repentance. And then I'm willing to do differently. I don't have the power to do differently, but I'm willing to do differently. And, he's, and when he gets saved, then he gives you the power to do differently. We don't live the Christian life in the, in the power of the flesh. That doesn't give God any honor. When we live the Christian life in the power of the Spirit, that gives God honor and glory. And he, deserves, he in fact, deserves that credit. And so repentance and remission of sins, Jesus said, should be preached in his name among all nations. That's the missions. That's what our brother does, Julio. The word remission of sins means to have freedom. Deliverance from sins, liberty, those are all synonyms of the word. We have liberty. Praise God, he has delivered me from my evil nature and from my sins. They're no longer going to be held against me. I still have the evil nature, but now he's cut the power of the evil nature. A duck is a duck because a duck is a duck. That's deep. A duck quacks. And a sinner sins. They can't help but sin. They sin by nature. They're, they're, they're a sinner. But when you get born from above, you receive the Holy Spirit. Now you have power over those sins. And that, you want to know where that's found? It's Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8. Those three chapters help you understand that, and I don't do it any further than night. But the emphasis on an individual's taking action to change from the things that he's done or she's done against God uh, and, and seek remission of sins is what that's at. Repentance and remission of sins. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 
10 through 11. Brother Vito, you want to come quote that for me, brother? Godly repentance. Godly sorrow leadeth to repentance. And that's in those verses there, it clearly explains that there is a sense of sorrow comes upon a sinner when they realize that they've sinned against God. Well, how do you, how does that, is that spirit of, of sorrow created? It's created when they hear the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So you tell them the word of God. You tell them about all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. Our righteousness is filthy rags. You go out Isaiah. You begin to talk like that, and the Holy Spirit's working with the Word of God, and they say, yeah, I have sinned against God. I've done some awful stuff. They become sorrowful. You probably remember when you got saved, you, were, you should have had some sorrow for your sin. I was, I have some sorrow. I've, I've, I violated God. But then you hear, then you give them the love of God. Well, you give them that Jesus loved you so much, he died upon the old rugged cross, gave his own self, took upon your sins, took your place, the substitutionary death of Jesus and his eventual resurrection, third day. <clears throat> and now he's willing to save you from the words like propitiation and justification and sanctification all come into that play of salvation. It's in Christ's words, own words in Mark chapter 16, verse 15, it says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. In 1 Corinthians 1.17, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, Paul said. Not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made in effect. So that was the way, those were the very various verbiages of the gospel. And I preached a, a sermon at length, a study sermon, on the different ways of the, of the words repentance, remember? Does anybody remember any about that? Repentance, faith, and believe, and I went real clear to show you how they overlap. They're used together and separate and overlap, and it's the same thing. Having faith, having belief, having repentance is all really the same thing about salvation that are used about, and some of this I'll go over a little bit here. So what is the gospel then made up? Well, first of all, <clears throat> nobody gets saved unless they feel they need to be saved. Recognition of our sin against God is key in seeing somebody saved. In Romans chapter, in Luke chapter 18, verse 13, it says, And the publican standing afar off went not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. He knew he was a sinner. Jesus said, That man went away to his house justified. Now, the Pharisee that got in there and beat his chest said, oh, you know, I'm not like other men. I tithe of everything I give. I go to church. I never miss a service. All these other heathen around me, you know, they're not religious. They don't care about the Bible. I read the Bible, and I do all these things, trusting in his own self-righteousness. And boy, nothing more do I see hated in the New Testament than self-righteousness. The whole chapter of Matthew 23 is one of the most hellfire and damnation messages you'll ever read or ever hear uh, preached on is when Jesus began to attack the self-righteousness of the Pharisees, Sadducees, publicans, lawyers, <clears throat> and so. <clears throat> so we see a person must realize that they're a sinner. You're a sinner unable to save yourself by any amount of good works. You've got to know that. 
And then secondly, faith in Jesus Christ shed blood as substitutionary death upon the cross. We find that in Romans chapter 3, verse 25. Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation, that means a covering, through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. And there's other places, but this one. We see the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. So you've got to understand you're a sinner. You've got to understand that Jesus died for us. He took your place. He paid for every sin that you ever have committed, are committing, or will commit as a child of God. And if you will, the third thing, if you will put your faith, believe, repent in his resurrection from the dead, Romans 10.9 says this way, for thou shalt confess... Thou shalt confess with thy mouth. Wait a minute. Don't, 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 don't. Don't say a word. Don't do a gym nod on me. I've quoted that verse thousands of times. Is this what it means to get old? Thou shalt confess with thy mouth, Lord Jesus, and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. So you have a verbal commitment some sort of a confession. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father, which is in heaven. If you deny me before men, I'll deny you. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> is this what it is? <coughs> I'm falling apart. Huh? But we must, I get worried if somebody gets saved and they don't want to tell somebody else about it. You, you need to be telling it. Man, if you got married and never wanted to tell anybody or never wanted to show your bride to anybody, I'd be worried about you. I'd think you were ashamed of your bride. When you get saved, man, you want to, you're not ashamed of the one who saved you and forgave you and given you a new life in Christ, man. You want to tell at least somebody about them. That's why I love new believers. I like to keep a new believer close to you because they're excited about telling people about Jesus. So, yeah, you realize you're a sinner. You understand what the blood of Christ has done for us. And then you place your simple childlike faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, Romans 10, 9. And the actual receiving and verbal confession of that is done. I think John 1, 12 says, As many as received him, to them he gave you power to become the children or sons of God. There is a receiving. People say, look, they're hanging around a Christian won't save you. <clears throat> no one's scripture won't save you. The devil knows scripture. Uh, understanding the facts of the gospel in themselves won't save you. It seems to be important that you confess with your mouth and believe in thine heart. It's a confession and a belief. And it's important to verbally tell somebody, I believe that Jesus is Christ, the Son of the living God. That's what he, when, when he was, when, in Matthew chapter 16, when Jesus asked Peter, who do men say that I am? Now, Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Oh, flesh and blood hadn't revealed this to you, Peter. That's only revealed by the Holy Spirit. See, we've been, some of you have been saved so long, you take that for granted. But that realization that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, comes by the Holy Spirit only. God Almighty has privileged us to know that and to have that. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Man. We're told to preach the gospel. We're told to teach the gospel. We're told to witness. You should be my witnesses. It says in Isaiah, saith the Lord, 
in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You're going to be, you shall be receive power after that. The Holy Ghost has come upon you. You're to be witnesses to me in Judea and uh, Samaria, the uttermost part of the world. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the world. Uh, he's, he says to go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That was my, that's that preaching part. And we're supposed to go, go and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. So we're supposed to preach, we're supposed to teach, and we're supposed to witness. That should be preaching is foretelling in this particular case. So he showed us really what to do. What John the Baptist do? What he say? Matthew 3, 3, 1 says, In those days John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea, what did he preach? Repent ye for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent ye for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, Jesus, what did he preach? Well, Matthew chapter 4, verse 17 says, From that time Jesus began to preach and to say repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It sounds the same to me. So both John the Baptist and Jesus, they're not too bad. I'd, I'd emulate them, right? Repentance and faith. Amen. What did Jonah do? Going back earlier. What did Jonah tell those folks when he was sent to Nineveh? He said, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. I don't see a lot of love there. I, I don't see a lot of love. When when, uh, when you see Jonah going into Nineveh, you don't see a lot of love there. He's not a big lovey, dovey, mushy-gushy preacher. He wants them to die and go to hell. That's why he went the other way. When God said, I want you to go to Nineveh and preach against it. He goes, oh, no. I know you're a merciful God, and I know that if they repent, you'll, you'll let them have mercy, and I don't want them to repent. I want them to die. With that horrible attitude, of course, he had to go through the whale experience. I suppose three days and three nights in the belly of a whale would kind of convert you. It's been said that when he was throwing up, literally, on the beach, that he probably had no hair left, his skin was bleached white, and he looked like some ghost man. Very likely he did. Very likely. Nobody can prove that. Nobody knows for sure. But I wouldn't be surprised three days and three nights in the belly of a whale that you look good. I mean, I mean, have you ever been in the water so long your skin wrinkles up? Well, you've only been in the water a few hours and that happens. Imagine being in a moist environment for three days, three nights. You look terrible, man. He came, I probably didn't smell good either. And Jonah got out there and he said, he, he didn't, I tell you, that was the shortest sermon ever preached to have revival. The greatest revival ever recorded in, 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 the, in the history of the world is the Nineveh revival. They got right from the top to the bottom. They're animals. They put sackcloth on their animals and stuff. I mean, it, you get your little doggy. You people got all these little doggies. You get your little doggy and put some sackcloth on your doggy. Take that, take that knit sweater off that little thing. Quit feeding them $80 a bag food and make him eat table scraps. I got I to gotta get off that subject. <laughs> 40, yet 40 days, Nineveh shall be overthrown. That was the sermon he preached. That's it. And they got right from top to bottom. Do what God asks you to do and let him do the saving. Amen. Come on out door to door with us. Come on out by faith. Come on out by the grace of God. 
Come on out with the courage of the Holy Spirit. Come on out with the word power of the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. And things will happen. Let me say this. Wherever the word of God goes, things change. I'm not, I don't save anybody, but I am a mouthpiece for God. The Holy Spirit of God doesn't have a mouth and ears and eyes like I do. He's told me, to, he's given it to me, and he sends me out, and he says, open your mouth and tell him what I tell you to tell him. <clears throat> Paul, let's go to Peter first. Peter, Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Peter said unto them, his first sermon, I'm sorry, I, I, I'm not sick. I've just not been yelling enough lately. My wife and I have been getting along. <laughs> Acts chapter 2, verse 38. And Peter said unto them, Repent, be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for remission of sins, you may receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Oh, a whole false doctrine been picked up on that verse, chapter 2, verse 8. You've got to be baptized to be saved because Peter said, repent and be baptized. Well, what do you say about the second sermon he preached in the next chapter, chapter 3, verse 19, where he says, repent ye therefore and be converted. No mention of baptism, that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshment shall come from the presence of the Lord. In other words, the Holy Spirit of God will come. So, what word is repeated both in chapter 2 in his first sermon and chapter 3 in his second sermon? The word repentance. Baptism is not repeated. First it says, said repent and be baptized. The second one said repent and be converted. So I, I, the first time I was an 18-year-old kid arguing with a guy I'd been saved for 35 years trying to tell me I had to get baptized and be saved. By the way, I'd already been baptized. I believe you ought to get saved and I believe you ought to get baptized. But I believe that baptism is, is an act of obedience. It's an act of compliance to what God asks us to do. It is not part of the salvation because the old thief on the cross went to hell because he didn't have time to get baptized. He didn't have time to join a church. He didn't have time to tithe. He didn't have time to do communion. He didn't have time to do last rites. All he had time to do says, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. That's what he had. Jesus said, today, you'll be with me in paradise. He accepted it by faith. Ah, glory to God, hallelujah. I'm happy. I want to shake that old thief's hand someday. Acts chapter 13, verse 39. Paul said, and by him all that believe are justified from all things, which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Those dear people that want to go back to the law, I feel so sorry for them. They want, to, they want to leave grace and go back to the law. You could not. Nobody ever was justified by the law of Moses. They were justified by the faith in the, and they had in those sacrifices that they were told to do. That faith. Abraham did what? Believe God. It was counted to him for righteousness. All of those people behind us before the cross were looking forward to what Jesus was going to seal on the cross. And all of us out here 2,000 years and from the time of the apostles all the way to today are looking back on what Jesus did on the old rugged cross. It's all about Jesus. It's about Jesus from Adam 
to Jesus and from Jesus to the last man that gets saved, they're all going to get saved by one thing, by faith in God and the Lord Jesus Christ. What knowledge they had, God gave mercy to them. But now we got full knowledge. Now we got full knowledge. Acts chapter 16, verse 31, what did he tell that old Philippian jailer when he came to him and said, what must I do to be saved? He said, he said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. He didn't say you got to have five hours of discipleship program. I'm for discipleship. But that's not before salvation or not part of salvation. Salvation is salvation. Discipleship is discipleship. Never mix the two together. When you're, disciples, when you're discipling somebody that's not saved, you're resuscitating a dead body. And as soon as you quit resuscitating, they die. And they stay dead because they never were alive. But when somebody gets born from above, they can't be killed because God is the one that causes them to live. And they hunger and thirst for righteousness. Oh, I like Acts chapter 17, verse 30, and, and Paul preached there, and it says, In the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. So in one place in Acts 16, 31, it says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. In Acts chapter 17, verse 30, it says, uh, Commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Jesus said, Except you repent, you shall likewise perish. John the Baptist said the same thing. Uh, you have faith, you know, by grace, Ephesians 289, for by grace you're saved through faith that not of yourselves is a gift of God, not of works that any man should boast. So you're saved by repentance, by belief, by, re by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work on Calvary. Man, never let your salvation get old. Never quit being happy about being born from above. You are so blessed, so privileged, so, so privileged tonight to know what it is to be saved and have the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. Present the gospel both ways to so the conclusion of the matter is that we present the gospel both ways. If we find an arrogant sinner, the self-righteous, we present the law to him. All of sin and come short of the glory of God. There's a law of God and you, if you offend the law in one point, you're guilty of it all. How many times you got to steal to be a thief? How many times you got to lie to be a liar? Once you break the law, you're a sinner, and once you become a once you become a sinner, then you're you can't go to heaven because there's going to be no sin in heaven. Where are you going to go? You're going to go to a place called hell, a place of lake of fire. That's what the Bible says. That's what Jesus said. That's what everybody you read through the book. That's just consistently taught from one end to the other. But what about now? An example about that. If you meet somebody that's arrogant and you give them grace, they're going to spit on you. They're going to despise the gospel. I've had people tell me, what do I need to be saved from? I've never sinned. And believe it or not, it was a little old lady from Pasadena, possibly. <laughs> I mean, it was a little old lady down here in the park in a... Naples Park, I believe, if it's still left. Naples Park. And she said, oh, Sonny, surely you don't believe that I've ever sinned. And I thought, you just lied. She threw me out. But I mean, some of them little old ladies used to be young ladies. Oh, yeah. 
Oh, if you only knew. So you meet somebody that's uh, arrogant about, they don't feel like they need God, you need to talk to them about the law. You don't need to talk to them about grace. You're talking about law. Let me say this. I had Bob Rose. Bob Rose would go fishing with my, with my brother and I. We'd go fishing in the Keys, and we were out on top of the reef, and it was real clear that day, top to bottom visibility. Bobby wanted to look in what the reef looked like. And I said, Bob, here, put a mask on. So we put a mask on the boy. And he said, he don't know how to swim. Now, she'll, she'll testify, Bobby did not know how to swim, was scared, somewhat fearful of the water. And here we have him out 40 miles out, wanted to look on the reef, and he, and, he, and she, she, and if I may say, Mrs. Rose isn't as sweet as you know, as you think she is. She told him, Bobby, you got to wear a life jacket. If you're going to go out there with the boys, you got to wear a life jacket. So he had this old, he had this old inflatable life jacket thing. It was real uncomfortable. It was hot, real hot and uncomfortable. And I would see him struggle with that thing and you know, and it was it was rubbing him and everything. I said, Oh, Bobby, I said, Man, oh yeah, she told me I had to wear this. I said, you always do what she says? Well, what if she asked me? I said, <clears throat> so he said, Bill, I'm going to get outside the boat. <coughs> I'm going to get out of the boat. I said, okay. My brother was diving. He was down. And uh, we got over the top of the reef. And I told Bob, okay, get out the back ladder there. And I didn't tell him to hang on because I thought he'd know enough to hang on. He inflated his, he inflated his little thing he'd worn for days and sweat on it. He inflated this thing up, right? But he was a big boy. He weighed probably over 200 pounds back then. And he inflated this thing. I think it was only for about 180 pounds. So he inflated that thing, and he got in there, and he pushed off. He pushed off. When he pushed off, he went, boom, right I'm serious, right about there was a water line, and his eyes got like big like that, and he looked at me like, I'm, I'm going to die. So I got, we have a, what we call a throwable device. You have to have a throwable device on a boat. So we got our throwable device out, and I threw it out to him. I didn't have to beg him to take it. I didn't have to coax the boy to take it. He went for it, grabbed it. Hugged it like it was his long-lost mother. A sinner that doesn't know they're drowning won't accept a life jacket. But if they get convinced that they're drowning and going to die and go to hell, then you give them the grace of God and they'll grab it. Just like old Bobby grabbed that life jacket with a fervent. And I, of course, in a boat, it's hard to get a short circle, so I had to go... <clears throat> way out. Well, I figured, I, I was always, well, as I'm going way out to come around to pick him up, I'm thinking, how am I going to explain to Marilyn that we killed her husband? Because <clears throat> she's helpless. That boy took care of her better than anybody I ever knew. And so I go around, pick him up. He gets in the boat. He's more than happy to get in the boat. No problem. He never asked to get out of the boat again. Hey, when you get when you when you realize you're a sinner, and that old the old preacher says now there's a way to get all your sins forgiven and washed away, and the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, will cleanse you from all sin. You say, "Yes, I want it." When you meet a sinner that's arrogant and self-satisfied with their own sin, don't you give them grace? They're like, "What would I have that for? What do I need that for?" So you understand the difference there. 
But now, what if you meet somebody that's already broken? What if you meet, like I have, people that are already broken? I've gone to people's homes, and they said, well, I got on my knees and begged God, if you don't send somebody to help me, I'm going to kill myself. And then they heard knock at me knock on the door. That's the timing of that. I said, they came to the door and told me that story. I just was getting ready to kill myself if somebody didn't show up. I said, well, that means that I must be sent by God. They said, yes, you're sent by God. I said, <clears throat> let me give you the gospel. Didn't take a whole lot of persuasion to get the boy saved. Gave him the gospel that Jesus came. He died. He paid for all his sin and resurrected the third day. I said, do you believe that? He said, I believe. I said, would you be willing now to call upon him as your savior, repent of your sin, trust him? He said, I would. And they just pray their own prayer. You don't have to really guide them in a prayer. They already are ready because the Holy Spirit's there, the word of God's there, and they already know they're drowning. You just threw them the life jacket. They crap it. The most helpless feeling I ever had as a soul winner is when I meet somebody ready to get saved. It's like I don't do anything. God's done everything. He's already prepared the heart. He's prepared the mind. He's got them ready to go. And I just give them the gospel, and they get saved. It's too easy. Then I got these other cases with these arrogant people and the self-righteous people where you're pounding on them and pounding on them, and they're rejecting it and pounding on them. They, re they reflect it away, and they say, well, that ain't true. I don't believe the Bible is the word of God. I don't believe true. I don't believe this. I don't believe that. It's like they're trying to go to hell. They're not ready yet. I read a soul-winning uh, survey one time that said that people hear the gospel on average of 7.5 times before they get saved. 7.5. I want to be the .5 guy. But sometimes I'm the, I'm the first guy, and they reject, and I think, oh, I'm so discouraged. They rejected the gospel. Don't you ever be discouraged when you represent Jesus Christ to somebody, even if you stammer, even if you stutter, even if you don't have a good grip on it, don't you ever apologize? You did more. Let me tell you, there's people who walked by them that had a better grip on the gospel than you do, but they said nothing. The gospel will not do a, a lick of good to somebody if they don't hear it. That's why we go door to door. That's why we go for the bus ministry. That's why we do Awana. We don't do that for our health. We don't do that because we're bored. We don't do that because we're looking for more to do. We do it because the Bible says to go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Any way we can morally and do it morally or rightly, we will do it. Why? Because we believe in the power of the gospel. We believe in the power of the gospel. Will you be willing to grab yourself, shake yourself, and say, I got to do better tonight? You're going to say, tonight, in your heart, with you and God, I got to do better about presenting the gospel. I'm going to do better, preacher. And I'm not going to have you come up. I'm not going to have you identify yourself. Because I believe you can do this between you and God. Why don't you pray a little small prayer tonight and say, God, with all my heart, I want to do better at presenting the gospel. Now, that's my prayer. I want to do better. I want to be more bold for Christ. I want to be Holy Spirit sensitive and Holy Spirit guided. And when I'm talking to a waitress, I'm not just talking to a waitress. I'm talking to a lost soul. 
And maybe I'm step one, maybe I'm step two, three, four, five, but once in a while you're going to be step point five. They're going to trust Christ your Savior. You, you people back there from Alaska, God bless your soul. Amen. I've been in Alaska. Fairbanks or Anchorage? Or both? Fairbanks? Anchorage. Okay. Down by that big park, national park over there. People get saved even in Alaska. There's some saved people back there. Even in Alaska, people get saved. And they only get four hours of light in the wintertime. People get saved wherever the gospel goes, people get saved. And he'll get saved when you keep giving it, and pretty soon people are going to get saved. <clears throat> to the arrogant, give them the law. To the repentant, to the broken, give them grace. Some, save with compassion. Others, give them the, give them the law. Tell them hard things about what's going to happen to them. Warn them of what's God, what God's got coming for them if they don't get saved. And God will bless you. Father, help us tonight. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you for its faithfulness. Thank you that we're not, we don't have to be smooth operator. We don't have to be all tuned up. But if we'll just with our heart, with the best we know how to give the gospel, God, you'll do something with it. That you're the power. It is the gospel. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Not me. I'm just a vehicle, just a messenger. Father, there may be decisions being made tonight that will be the difference between people going to heaven and people going to hell. Decisions made tonight to be bold in the faith that will make a difference between people spending eternity with Jesus or not. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.